So over these last several weeks throughout the month of December, we've been in a season we call Advent. It's a time of preparation, a time of getting ready for this very night. And in this season, we've talked about the big picture Christmas, the way in which God really started long before the birth of Jesus, getting us ready for who Jesus is and what it is that Jesus has to offer. And it's been an exciting time to sort of gloss over and see the power of that big picture and the way that big picture has import and impact on our lives. We discovered that some two millennia before Jesus is even born, that a priest set a course for his coming and the establishment of his hope. We discovered some 1,000 years before Jesus was born that a psalmist was writing about the, the joy that this new Messiah would bring. And we discovered uh, the great found love that happened uh, that was foretold some 800 years before the birth of Jesus uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And it was profound in how we understand this big picture, right? God was at work long before Jesus was born, and God clearly continues to work in and through the birth of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's what we celebrate. It is a big picture. As I was reflecting on that, I, I, I thought for a while about, golly, who could speak into this and who could perhaps help us better understand a bigger picture, something broader than our own selves, because there really is more to the season than what we tend to give it, right? And, and I thought of a, a mid-20th century theologian, Dr. Theodore Zeus Geisel, um, who wrote much about theology and faith. Uh, you may not know his name, but he wrote much about Christmas, in fact, and, and one of the things that he wrote about a few years ago, uh, he wrote in a book, and it was a very powerful image that starts something like this. It, it says, um, and the Grinch with his Grinch feet, ice cold as snow, he puzzled and puzzled standing there wondering, how could this be so? How could it be so? It didn't come with ribbons or it didn't come with tags, it didn't come with packages or ribbons or bags. He pondered and puzzled for three hours till his puzzler was sore. And then the Grinch thought of something that he'd never thought of before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't really come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, is really much more. You see, you know him, don't you? Theodore Geisel, he's Dr. Seuss. He knows more than we do about this blessed opportunity. It has more to the story than most of us think. The trimmings and the decorations and the trees and the gifts and all of the frivolities are wonderful, but there's something much more to it than that, isn't there? It's why we've been discovering this big picture, this big concept that, that God came into the world as a child to, to bring us something. In fact, the birth of Jesus is the culmination of the greatest love story there ever was. His birth, in fact, reminds us that God's saving love is so much more than we can imagine, so much more than we can fully grasp, and yet we're grateful, Right? Some centuries before Jesus is born, the prophet Isaiah is laying out this salvation of love that God offers to the child. In Isaiah chapter 11, he just lays out this beautiful picture. In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation for all the world, and they will rally to him. This is centuries before Jesus is born. The prophet Isaiah is foreshadowing what it is for God to step into the world, what it means for God to love us enough to say, I want to be with you. 
I want to share life with you. I want to share joys with you. I want to be in the heartaches and the travails with you. I want to be there in all of your bad and your good times. Centuries before Jesus is born. And a part of what we begin to understand is God loves us so much that God wanted to step into this world to be with us, to be for us, right? To offer us joy in the moment, to offer us hope for the future, to bring peace to our hearts that we can't fully understand and yet has such impact on our lives. The big picture is really quite amazing. And it's fascinating because the sort of ultimate view of that big picture begins out in a field in the middle of nowhere in a tiny country where shepherds are out in the fields watching their flocks by night. So I want to invite you to hear the story, perhaps for the very first time or maybe for you, time and again, reminding you of the power of God's love and the wonder of God's grace. From Luke chapter 2, we hear these words about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was betrothed because he was descended from the family of David. Mary was engaged and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds lying in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace, goodwill among people. Then the angel had left them and gone into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in a manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned and glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen just as it had been told them. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Isn't that a powerful story? Whether it's the very first time you've heard it or whether you've heard it a hundred times before, 
It's as if we can't get enough of this story. It's as if somehow God speaks over and over to us, to our own very hearts, to help remind us, to help bring to us the closeness of what it is God wants to do. The shepherds are out in the field watching their flock by night. They're minding their own business as if nothing different is happening because to them it's the same old night, night after night after night. They watch their sheep. (laughs) They lead their sheep. They help their sheep because sheep, as you well know, are dumb animals, right? And so they're minding their own business when all of a sudden an angel appears and then a glorious uh, angel army appears and says to them, I bring you good news of great joy. And it's not just for you and it's not just for those you know, but it's for all the world. And from that moment on, everything changes. Everything. And they become changed and the world becomes changed and all of a sudden, somehow we know in this world that we are loved. And we know somehow that the world will be forever changed. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to the Holy Land. I've been a few times myself and to to witness these Bedouin shepherds. It's fascinating because they really are poverty stricken. We would call them homeless. They they migrate, they they manage, they, they have a house, but it's nothing you and I would call a house. And they are quite literally the the cast out and nobody really cares about them other than the fact that they watch their their sheep. And yet these are the very people that God chooses to enter the world into to tell the story to. And it begins to fascinate me because I think to myself, this God who could have come in any form, this God who could have come in any capacity, this God who could have come to the wealthy monarchs or the highly educated or the well-heeled or whoever we may imagine that God would step into the world to see and say to, our God says, I want to come among the least and the last and the lost And I'm not 100% sure why God chose this, but what it tells me and suggests to me is that our God chose the least and the last and these unlikely characters we call shepherds out in the fields watching their sheep by night is because God wanted to make it abundantly clear, I have come for everybody. Nobody will be left behind. Nobody will be ignored. Nobody will have my back turned on them. No one will feel as though I don't love them. I will come even to these lowly shepherds. And I don't know about you, but, and that brings me hope. That fills me with joy. That helps me to know I got a chance too, just like I hope you feel like you got a chance. Because it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter what we've done. This God loves you. This God wants to be in relationship with you. And it's a fascinating concept, right? Because, man, um, I would have imagined had I been God, had I had the choice, had I had the opportunity myself to figure out how am I going to come into the world and how am I going to let people know their love? Well, by golly, I'd go to the most boisterous place and I'd tell the most largest crowd and I'd, I'd, make it, uh, I'd shout it from the rooftops. But this God says, I want you, lowly shepherds, to understand what's happening. I want you, least among us, to understand that my love 
is for everybody. What a powerful gift that is. It is among several reasons why um, the man you now know as St. Francis of Assisi, uh, the organizer of the Franciscan monks, would eventually establish what you and I now refer to as the manger scene. You know, that thing you put in your house or on your lawn or somewhere in your home that shows the sheep and the shepherds and certainly the manger and the babe and Mary and Joseph. But Francis had been, you see, to the Holy Land just a few short years prior. And he became enamored with the very fact of where the baby was born and who surrounded this baby and who received the word from the angels and how it was that the angels spoke this powerful truth to the least and the last and the lost among us. And he thought to himself, I need to do something with this. I need to do something about this. And so he created what you and I now refer to as the nativity, a, a live nativity. And he, he brought it to a small um, uh, Italian village and he put the animals, there he is, the patron saint of animals, by the way, you may already know that. But he wanted people to see the animals and what the shepherds were like and how it would all work and how it would literally show the people who were illiterate and may not have not only not been to the Holy Land, but couldn't read the Bible and didn't know the story, but they could see, they could experience, they could feel the presence of the newborn babe. What you may not know is this very year, right now, Christmas 2023, is the 800th anniversary of the first nativity. In 1223, on roughly December the 12th, St. Francis laid it all out there and did it for the sole reason that he wanted people to experience and to encounter that holy moment. I don't know that this is the reason, but I started probably 25 years ago to collect manger scenes. And I collect them for two very distinct reasons. One is the very reason that um, Francis started. I wanted to see, I wanted to feel, I wanted to experience. And every time I saw this, I wanted to know that's what this story is all about. This is what I want you to experience. But I then began to collect ethnic nativities from all around the world, from every continent other than Antarctica, because it reminded me that this God that we know, this son, this child Jesus that brought love into the world, that stepped into the world, that every time I saw one from the African continent or every once I saw one from South America or from Central America or from Asia or from Europe, it reminded me that our God comes for everybody. And therefore, when I see the animals from the safari or when I see the Colombian or the Peruvian or the Austrian, it reminds me, God is for everybody, not just for us Americans, not just for we who know the story, not just for us who understand who God is, but for everybody. And then it begins to makes sense to me, this God of love, this God who desires our heart, this God who wants to be in close-seated relationship with us, who loves us so much that he wants to step into the world and save us from ourselves. Because that's really what God does in and through Jesus, right? I mean, his very name means God saves, Jesus, God saves. His very name means God is with us, Emmanuel, 
It doesn't get any more direct than that. And a part of what I realize is this God who loves you and who loves me and who loves everybody in the world, he came to save us because he saw a world that, man, is full of strife and stress. As Pastor Millard pointed out, in the very town in which Jesus was born, there is no Christmas because of strife and travail and turmoil and violence. And God saw this and knew that we needed a Prince of Peace. And so he brought a Prince of Peace. And this same God who loves us and wants to love us every single day saw that we were broken and we had addictions and we struggled with life. And he knew that we needed somebody to heal us and bring us hope. And he saw that more often than not in our modern day times that we are numb to the world and feeling more isolated than we ever have. And he wanted to bring us a friend and a counselor, somebody who could offer us hope for the future. This one figure, this one seemingly helpless baby who appeared simply because God wanted to be with us, to be for us, to enter into our lives and all of the highs and all of the lows, to help us recognize how wonderful God's love can be if only we will accept it. You see, that's what the more is. <laughs> that's what the big picture is. It's a powerful and wonderful realization that this one solitary life transformed and transfixed the world. And it really is an amazing life, isn't it? I mean, he, he was born to an unwed pregnant teenager in a nominal country that we hardly know much about. He spent almost 30 years of his life in a carpenter's workshop until he went off to itinerate as a preacher for about three years. He, he never wrote a book. He never uh, was elected to public office. He never uh, had a family. He never owned a home. He, he, he never went to college. <laughs> he never traveled more than 200 miles from the place of his birth. He never did anything of any kind that anybody would have ever said, oh, that's phenomenal. He didn't have any credentials but himself. And at one point in early adulthood, the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends abandoned him. He was forced by his enemies to follow through with a mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. And as he hung on that cross between two thieves, his executioners gambled for his only possession, his clothes. And when he died, he was placed in a borrowed grave. Twenty centuries have passed since then, and to this day, not a single individual is more highly honored, regarded, and a followed figure than him. I could honestly say that among all the armies that have ever marched, all of the navies that have ever sailed, all of the governments that have ever sat, all of the leaders who have ever led, all together, not one of them has had the same kind of impact on human history as this one solitary 
life. It's Jesus, whose birth we celebrate, whose love we honor, and whose very presence helps us to know that we are cherished. I pray this night or perhaps tomorrow as you celebrate with your family, you will remember that all of the accoutrements that come from the store are not the more, but rather the love of a God who cherishes you enough to love you like nobody else. The God who loves you above all other things and yet the same God who loves everyone the same. That's the God who cared enough about you and me and all of the world to step into this world and be with us. What a glorious gift that is. I pray you know that story. And I pray you share that story with someone who may not know that God loves them. May you share that gift, not only tomorrow, but every day of your life. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus who really is more than we could ever imagine or think, who offers us love beyond compare and helps us to see that there really is hope in the world, that we can, even in the midst of trials and tribulations, experience joy, and that even though the world sees violence and violation daily, God, we can know your peace. God, thank you for the gift of your Son, a little bitty baby who came not just for me or for us, but for everyone. May the world know of his joy this day and every day. God, this is our prayer, and we pray it in the name of the little child of Bethlehem, Jesus, whom we know to be the Christ. Amen.